18. Proverbs chapter 18. We're going to read one verse of Scripture, verse 24. Proverbs 18, verse 24, reads as follows. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let's read that once more. And in the place of companions, you can put their friends. A man of many friends may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so reads God's infallible, inerrant, holy word. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Our holy, eternal, and gracious Father, we thank you for this evening that was already written in your book before it ever existed. And we thank you, Lord, for having ordained the steps of everyone here tonight, even before the foundation of the world. We therefore can sit here tonight, Lord, with sweet assurance as your people, knowing that we are not here by accident, we are not here by chance, we are not here by blind fate, but we are here by your divine purpose. And your divine purpose that is worked by perfect wisdom and perfect love. And so, Lord, we give you thanks for what you have prepared for us this evening from your holy word. And we pray, Father, that as we open your scriptures, as we hear them expounded, Lord, let none of us hear your word tonight in vain. Let none of us be distracted by many things that would, that would cause us not to hear your holy word tonight. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, your word will run, that it will run freely, unencumbered, unhindered, and that it will be glorified, not only in our midst, Lord, but in our very hearts. And we pray, Father, that as we look this evening very specifically at what your word teaches us, by its divine wisdom concerning true friendship and the kind of friendship that as your people we should have and cultivate with one another. We pray, Lord, that you will indeed teach us much and sanctify us much by the truth of your word tonight in this context under this subject. These things we earnestly and very humbly ask for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. And amen. Well, this evening we return to our study in the book of Proverbs where the expositional theme we're considering tonight is the marks of godly friendship. I emphasize godly because among Christians, the only friendship we can have that is permitted by God is a friendship connected with fellow Christians and not the world. 2 Corinthians 6.14 commands us not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And James 4 in verse 4 warns us that friendship with the world is enmity or more literally, hostility with God. So then, among God's people, 
The only true friends we can have and should seek out are those people who have, like us, been saved by God's grace in Christ. But with this said, it is a mystery of sorts that among Christians there are those we find an intimate friendship with, while with others, that is with other Christians, we are not as close. To say this another way, among all God's people, there is a fellowship there because of grace, but within that common Christian fellowship, there are those Christians with whom a friendship forms that lasts a lifetime. Now, let me say that once more because that's a very important statement. Among all God's people, there is a fellowship there because of grace. But within that common Christian fellowship, there are those Christians with whom a friendship forms that lasts a lifetime. And in the historical record of God's word, we see this fleshed out. There was Moses and Joshua, Jonathan and David, Peter and John, and Paul and Timothy. And even with our Lord himself in his humanity, have you ever picked up on this? Surely you have when you studied the Gospels. Jesus had special friends. Out of the 12 disciples, there were three. Peter, James, and John. But even among those three, according to John 13, 23, one of them was the closest of all to Jesus, who was John. What we obviously see in these examples is that there will be fellow Christians we identify as our closest friends. While this can't be said of every single Christian. But if we are blessed with such friends in Christ, what is it that marks those friendships as true and lasting? In other words, what are the marks of a godly friendship? Answering this question is the burden of our study this evening in the book of Proverbs. There are four characteristics of godly friendship we'll consider. First, a godly friend gives sincere commitment. Second, a godly friend gives earnest counsel. Third, a godly friend gives redeeming correction. And fourth, a godly friend gives dependable comfort. To begin with, let's consider that a godly friend gives sincere commitment. Reading Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 17, we're told that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. The first and greatest mark of a godly friendship is an unwavering, uncompromising commitment to this fellow believer where the love that binds is as real in the tough times as it is in the happier times. In the original Hebrew of Proverbs 17 and verse 17, the phrase at all times is placed at the beginning of the sentence in the emphatic position. So it reads more literally, at all times a friend loves. At all times a friend loves. A true friend is never a fair weather friend. It doesn't matter the season of life we're in, whether rain or sunshine, a true friend will always be there for us, no matter if it is a time of sorrow or a time of joy. And such friendship like this translates into a brotherhood. And a brother, we're told, is born for adversity. From a friend is born a brother who is bound as if by ties of blood not broken or turned away by adversity. 
Such was the love of Ruth for Naomi when she expressed this unconquerable commitment to her, of all people, her mother-in-law. And what did she say? Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. And if you remember the context in Ruth, Naomi had shooed away all of her daughters-in-law. She told them all to leave. She was going back home. Okay, remember that? Remember the context. Ruth, however, says to her mother-in-law, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Wow. Sincere, unconquerable commitment. But certainly, and more famously, we see this kind of sincere commitment between friends in the example of Jonathan and David. From their very first meeting, when David was in King Saul's favor, 1 Samuel 18.1 tells us, Jonathan loved David as himself. But when King Saul turned against David... And sought his destruction, Jonathan stood by David, even risking his own life against his father, the king. Jonathan was indeed a friend who loved David at all times and proved himself as a brother born for adversity. In other words, Jonathan would take the spear for David. His loyalty was so fierce and true to his friend that in the face of losing his reputation, losing his welfare, even losing his own very life, Jonathan would let nothing break the covenant he and David shared as friends and vice versa. But of course, it must be said that in David's lifetime... There was only one friend he had like Jonathan. Only one. After Jonathan passed away, David would never experience such a friendship like that again. This shows how rare and precious true friendship really is. There's just not that many people you'll have in your life who will take a bullet for you. In fact, you may only encounter perhaps one, maybe two, but that's it. That's how rare, that's how precious a real friendship like this is. They're not cheap. In David's life, after Jonathan, there appeared another man who acted like a friend, but wasn't the real thing. His name was Joab. By all appearances, Joab seemed like a loyal friend to David, but the truth is Joab was always working his own angle with David and everyone else for that matter. Commenting on Joab's relation to David, Del Ralph Davis gave these insightful remarks. He said, Joab is both intensely loyal and completely uncontrollable. He does not raise the standard of revolt against David like Sheba, nor does he seek David's throne like Absalom. Joab is faithful to David. He does not try to become king, and yet he acts as his own king. He is extremely loyal to David, but essentially unsubmissive to David. What we see in Joab is the kind of friend we do not want. 
This is someone who is essentially committed to their own agenda and will be true to you only in terms of preserving their welfare. If you meet their needs, then you can count on them to be there, but not otherwise. There is no love for you in their loyalty. Their commitment to you is driven by nothing but their own selfish ambitions. But within the context of a truly godly friendship, there is a sincere commitment, a sincere commitment given out of a love that's there in all seasons of life, no matter what that will cost both persons. This is the friend who is a true brother born for adversity. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have such a friend who will take the bullet for you? They are that loyal. They have your back to that degree. In the second place, not only does a godly friend give sincere commitment, but we see that a godly friend gives earnest counsel. Reading Proverbs 27 in verse 9, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Like the sweet and agreeable benefit that comes from the fragrance of oil and perfume, so is the enriching profit that springs from the earnest counsel of a true friend. By the term translated earnest, we understand that this kind of counsel has nothing but the interests of their friend at heart. It is counsel given with a passionate aim to aid their friend in the best and most profitable way possible. So it is honest, selfless guidance given not in a hurry, but with careful thought and prayerful intercession, navigated by God's word and shared after such appropriate reflection and expressed with genuine concern. This is the kind of counsel a godly friend gives. And such counsel proves how dear we are to this fellow Christian who has become to us a trusted friend. We know that if we seek them out for proper direction, they will listen intently and seek to leave us not with what they merely think about the situation, but most importantly, they will leave us with what God says by the infallible truth of his word. This is because a godly friend is, in fact, desiring to leave us with God and point us in the direction of divine wisdom as opposed to the ways and ideas of fallen man. The earnest counsel, therefore, of a godly friend will work to sharpen our thinking like iron sharpens iron, rubbing off wrong-headed ideas in order to give us greater clarity as to the path we should take by God's will revealed by God's word. But at the heart of such counsel is a genuine concern for who we are and what is going on in our life at this time under God's providence. So in a godly friendship, there is given a sincere commitment and earnest counsel. Caring, thoughtful, prayerful, patient counsel. But in the third place, we also see from the book of Proverbs that a godly friend gives redeeming correction. Redeeming correction. And here we take in Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6, which says, 
Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Perhaps the most difficult dynamic of a godly friendship is when the time comes that we have to correct a brother or sister who has strayed from God's path. What's easy is to say nothing. And to say nothing out of fear that if we do seek to correct, then we may run the risk of losing this person as a friend. But to hold such silence is not Christ-like. Listen to me, beloved. It's not Christ-like. It's criminal. It is criminal. All we're showing is how little we do care and how weak and faint our love really is. We're certainly proving that we're not a true friend. This is because a godly friend will not remain silent when the brother or sister they claim is their friend has veered into a wrong and sinful path. A godly friend is convinced that open rebuke is better than hidden love. To withhold correction when it should be given is not love but hatred. Like parents who withhold correction from their children. As Proverbs 13, 24 teaches. All we're really showing to this friend is how selfish and self-serving we are when it comes to our relationship with them. We're further showing how cowardly we are in how our friendship is not built on fearing God, but on fearing man. But a godly friend will correct us when such correction is necessary. Faithful, we are told, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Yet, understand, such wounding is redeeming. Such wounding is redeeming. Now understand this. Listen to this. It is devoted to help us and not hurt us. It is committed to heal us and not harm us. This is why when the correction comes, it is coming from someone who has nothing but our best interests at heart. There are, however, those Christians who, when they correct, they do so for the sake of inflicting pain instead of providing redemption. In other words... They want us to hurt, perhaps because they're hurt or angry. Such Christians would be better off to keep silent than to speak since their motives to correct are not with godly intentions. Furthermore, they are not wounding as a friend, but by all appearances, it's more like an enemy. In short, to such Christians, repentance is needed on their part before they go off rebuking a fellow believer whose best interests are nowhere on their radar. But at the same time, if we refuse to be frank with our friends when such candor is necessary and cover them with the kisses of flattery, then we're also acting more like an enemy than a true godly friend. As Proverbs 27 and verse 6 warns us, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. An enemy will deceive us with kisses, pretending to be something to us they are not. This is why their kisses are insincere, hypocritical, deceitful. If they see us on the wrong path, they'll wish us well without telling us that danger is ahead. This is clearly not the way of a real, true friend, certainly not a godly friend. But the point 
in all of this is that when it comes to the nurturing and cultivating a godly friendship, there will be a time and season when correction is necessary. How can it not be? Since we remain fallen, infallible, though we are redeemed by grace. Yet, when such a time arrives, when it's time to wound our friend, there must be love and there must be humility on both sides. On both sides. So, what then are the marks of a godly friendship thus far? A godly friend will give a sincere commitment. They will give earnest counsel. And they will give redeeming correction. But in the final place, we also see that a godly friend gives dependable comfort. They give dependable comfort. And here we draw from Proverbs 18 and verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The contrast made in this particular verse is between fair-weather friends and the true friend whose personal devotion to you sticks closer than a brother. What is implied by this statement is that the kind of friend you want when times are tough is not a superficial fly-by-night friend, but someone you can count on and rest assured that they'll give you the most godly encouragement and comfort in your darkest hour. This is because... If you surround yourself with only superficial friends who have no invested interest in your, in your welfare at every level, spiritual, emotional, physical, then when adversity strikes you, Solomon tells us, you'll come to ruin. You will come to ruin since these kind of people will forsake you rather than stick with you. But a godly friend a godly friend is with you for the long haul. Even when your own blood relatives may fail you, and believe me, they will. So, their comfort can be depended on, that is, the comfort of this godly friend can be truly dependent dependent on since it works from the redeeming qualities of God's grace to aid you when perhaps you are ready to throw in the towel and call it quits. Paul the Apostle gave this kind of dependable comfort to his closest earthly friend who was also his son in the faith, Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 3 and reading to verse 14, listen to how Paul gave spiritual comfort as a godly friend to another godly friend. He said to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. That is how a godly friend gives godly comfort. Do you see how Paul was leaving Timothy with God? He was pointing Timothy to Christ. He was encouraging Timothy with the gospel. You see, what you need to understand contextually and historically speaking is that when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, Timothy was at that time Paul's apostolic delegate at the church at Ephesus. And the times were very difficult for Timothy. False teachers had invaded that church even as the apostle Paul had warned the Ephesian elders preceding this period of time. Back in Acts chapter 20, if you remember, Paul admonished the Ephesian elders that savage wolves were going to be coming into that church, not sparing the flock. And there would even be those rising up among their own number, speaking twisted things to lead the disciples astray. Well, Timothy was now living in that time. He was now in that season, and Timothy was suffering with great timidity. He was dealing with great fear. Timothy was ready to throw in the towel. And so Paul, writing what would be his very last letter before his martyrdom, he writes this epistle to his dearest friend, to his son in the faith, assuring him, comforting him, reminding him of who he was as a believer, reminding him of the true spirit God had given him, of the gift of ministry that God had given him that he was to fan into flame, reminding him also not to be ashamed of the gospel, of the testimony of our Lord. This is the godly comfort that a godly friend gives in a time when that brother or that sister is at their wit's end and they're ready to call it quits. This is what godly friendship looks like. Well, let me leave you tonight from this study with six different takeaways, okay? Six different takeaways from this study tonight. Number one, pray for the Lord to give you a godly friend. Now, you might think, well, gee, that's a no-brainer. But do you know how many Christians don't pray? You know how many Christians there are that do not ask God to give them a godly friend? You'd be surprised. So many of God's people do not ask the Lord for a godly friend. And it's sad. 
Ask the Lord, do you have a Jonathan in your life? Do you have a Timothy in your life? Do you have a Joshua in your life? Ask God to give you such. Ask God to grant you such a friend. Second, cultivate a godly friendship with a fellow Christian. But in that cultivation, note this, be patient and prayerful in such nurturing. Don't force it. You cannot force a true friendship. You can't. They don't come by force. They have to bloom. Okay? They, you know, they, they, just, they just surface in the works of God's providence. So, such a friendship, it'll bloom as God's gift in God's timing. So be patient, be prayerful, but seek to cultivate such a friendship. Third, God doesn't purpose any of us to be alone in an absolute sense. Now hear what I just said. God does not purpose any of us to be alone in an absolute sense. Now, we're all going to have times when we are alone. Okay? <laughs> That's living life in this world. And there are those Christians whose natural temperament just gravitates towards not wanting to be around a whole lot of people. You know, that's, that's that melancholic temperament. And, you know, with the melancholic, have you ever seen the, uh, the friend list of a melancholic? It's very short, maybe two or three, okay? Whereas with a Christian who's wired with a sanguine temperament, well, they have several pages, <laughs> you know, there, it's the person who is, that's the person who's so people-oriented, and then you have the person who's not so people-oriented. But it is not God's purpose for any of us to be alone in an absolute sense. Do you remember what God said about Adam? Genesis 2.18. After God had created the heavens and the earth, and, he had, and, and, and you remember the, the repeated motif? In chapter 1 of Genesis, God said, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. You get to chapter 2, you come to verse 18. Finally, there's something in that perfect world God said is not good. What was it? For man to be alone. Now, God did not create another man. He created a woman. And thus, the institution of marriage was founded. But there is a principle there that we can draw from. That it is not the purpose and plan of God for us to be alone in an absolute sense. You see, there's a, there's a big time danger, a very big time danger, if we do seek the life of a loner. And Proverbs warns us against this in Proverbs 18 and verse 1. And you need to know this verse. Proverbs 18 and verse 1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. That's the danger in being the proverbial loner. It is not God's purpose for you to be that kind of a person. To be the isolationist. Because you see, here's what happens. The isolationist, you go, you go to verse 2 of Proverbs 18. Here's, here's what happens to the isolationists. They take no pleasure in their own, in, they, they take no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing their own opinion. Well, of course, because the only person that they're with is themselves. They're only listening to themselves. 
And so they become very angular. And that is not a wise place to be. What does Proverbs tell us about the multitude of counselors? It says in the multitude of counselors there is safety. There is safety. Beloved, we are fallen. We are fallible creatures. And that means, therefore, that we don't know everything that we think we know. Okay? And there are some Christians who think like that. They think they know what they really don't know. But, or, did I say that correctly? <laughs> but, we all need the earnest counsel of godly friends who will guide us, who will correct us, who will help us to see things that in and of ourselves we don't have the capability to see. We've got to have an objective perspective that is impressed upon us that we cannot muster up by ourselves. Friendships are therefore necessary. Friendships are necessary. Number four, and this is so important, it's not quantity but quality when it comes to friends. It is possible to have so many friends that you have no friends. Did you hear what I just said? It is possible to have so many friends that you have no friends. Let me put it to you the way Charles Spurgeon did. Spurgeon said, everybody's friend is nobody's friend. Everybody's friend is nobody's friend. You cannot give the kind of loyalty to every single person that is demanded from a friendship. That's impossible. You can't. Humanly impossible. You can't give that kind of loyalty to every single person. But we know that there are people that try to do that. There are people who are just everybody's friend. But when you're everybody's friend, then you also tend to live at a superficial level with everybody. And so there's never any real genuine cultivation of a real friendship that's going to be redeeming, that's going to be truly redeeming in your life. It's not about how many friends we have. It's not about quantity. It's about the quality of friends we have. And remember, as we have seen tonight, the quality of a true friend, that kind of friend is very rare and you'll only have maybe two, maybe two people like that in your life. And I'm talking in a lifetime. They are that rare. Fifth, a godly friendship will always lead us more to Christ, working to increase our sanctification, not retard it. A godly friendship will always lead us more to Christ, working to increase our sanctification, not retard it, not hinder it, not slow it down. Do you have a friend like that? Is there someone in your Christian life that is that kind of a friend? And lastly, and this is really the most important takeaway of all, even if all our friends do fail us, the Lord never will. 
the Lord never will. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the highest note that we can end tonight's study about friendship with. Because honestly, the ultimate friend who sticks closer than a brother to us is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, beginning at verse 16, writes this. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Do you know that he was even speaking there of his friends? His friends. He said, may it not be charged against them. So he was not bitter. He was forgiving. But then look at verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, it should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's only one perfect friend we can have. And that perfect friend is Christ. Because even our best and closest and, and most trusted and, and dependable friends, earthly friends we have, because they are still fallen and frail and fallible, they will, at some point, they will fail us. They will. They will fail us. Because they're not perfect. And so here's the Apostle Paul testifying to Timothy that at a moment when he needed his friends the most, what did they do? They deserted him. They, des they deserted him. But who stood with Paul? Who did not desert him? Who did not forsake him? The Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to keep that always in perspective as Christians. Because, you know, it is very possible, and we have to be careful about this, it is very possible to idolize our earthly friends. Maybe you do have a few people in your life that you would classify as the kind of the kind of godly friend that you've heard described tonight. It is possible because of the frailty of our own hearts, because of the sinfulness that's still there, to lift them up, to put them on a pedestal, to idolize them, and to make demands upon them that only Jesus Christ can meet. And we have to be very careful and very cautious that we don't do that. Jesus is the only perfect friend you and I will ever have. He will never desert you. He'll never forsake you. He will meet your every need. Even when your very best friends cannot. Christ will. Christ can. So let's always keep that in perspective so that we do not fall into the trap of idolatry and putting more on our earthly human friends than what they can bear, than what they can stand. Amen. Let's pray. Our Holy Father, we thank you for this precious gift that you have created called friendship. And we are most thankful, Lord, for 
those few and rare people in our lives that you have providentially brought that have proven themselves to be like Jonathan was to David, like Timothy was to Paul, and vice versa. Father, we, we pray that if we here tonight have been so blessed with such rich friendship, will you sanctify us with the grace and the wisdom to, to keep cultivating and nurturing that precious friendship, but also to keep it in the proper perspective, as we've just heard, and never to lift it up and hold it up in a place, in a position where we idolize it, where we worship it, where we somehow think and somehow have convinced ourselves that we cannot live without this particular person. Lord, let us not be brought to that place by the works of the flesh. But keep reminding us and recalling to our hearts that the only true perfect friend that any of us as your saints can have is in your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And we therefore thank you for his perfect friendship. But Father, nevertheless, we are grateful to you for those rare friendships that you have given and granted. And Lord, if any of us have not been so blessed with such godly friends. We, we pray, we ask of you that you would give and grant such friends in our life. We don't want to be like the proverbial loner, the isolationist. We see how necessary friendship is, how good it is, Lord. And so we trust in you to bring such a brother or a sister in Christ in our lives that we can cultivate a sweet and lasting, true and faithful friendship with. We pray, Father, that you would give us the grace we need to be patient as we would seek you for such people. Let us not force friendships, but work in our hearts, Lord, the grace we need to wait on you patiently and to trust you when you will bring such brethren our way. These things we pray, we ask for Jesus' sake and in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.